I think we all have had the experience, maybe, of being in a major city and you see somebody selling counterfeit goods, right? Uh, I remember my eyes were open in eighth grade. I went to Washington, D.C. for an eighth grade trip. We saw lots of different things. I don't know why I remember this. We were right outside the Lincoln Theater. Uh, not the Lincoln Theater. The uh, Forge Theater, where Lincoln was. It always gets confusing because... Kennedy was killed in a Lincoln, but Lincoln was killed in the Ford Theater. Anyways, so um, outside the Ford's Theater, there was this guy with like a, a mat out that had all of these uh, Oakley sunglasses. That was the big thing back then. And of course, all these Oakley sunglasses cost $15, which is an incredibly good deal, except for the fact that they weren't actually Oakleys in any way, shape, or form. They were cheap knockoffs. And you see this a lot in big cities where somebody will have a lot of merchandise to sell. Another big popular one is Louis Vuitton bags, uh, even though most of the time they're not actually Louis Vuitton bags. If you're getting a price that's too good to believe, it's probably too good to believe. And uh, whenever they're selling those things, you just get that, I get the creepy crawly feeling of being obviously lied to, right? I just don't like it when somebody is trying to trick me and trying to sell me something they know is no good. And we get to where we appreciate when people are willing to admit when something they have is flawed or faulted or counterfeit or not real. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, a while back, Domino's had this brilliant campaign that I loved where they basically admitted that their pizza was terrible. I don't know if you remember this, but they, uh, they did commercials on TV where they put up like social media posts where somebody like Bill Johnson said, I just ordered Domino's, it stunk, there were no herbs at all in their sauce. And so they just did this whole blitz where they said, you're right, our pizza's terrible, we have completely changed the recipe. Order Domino's today because it's a completely different pizza than the crummy one you bought yesterday. And... There was something refreshing about it, right? They're like, oh, okay, well, they're at least admitting their faults and recognizing the things that they don't do right. Uh, we have this problem a little bit with church. Um, we can be guilty of some bait-and-switch tactics, right? Uh, this lovely sign behind us for free Wi-Fi and delicious pizza that is obviously written so it looks like it says free pizza, but it's not really free pizza. And this is the way some people feel about church. You guys are going to sell me thing A, and I'm going to show up, and it's going to be thing B, and I don't like thing B, and I don't want to be around thing B. And there's a lot of legitimate criticisms that people have of religion and the way that religion works. We've been going through Matthew, and we're to a, um, a section of Matthew where Jesus begins to acknowledge all of the things that are wrong with religion. For an entire chapter, Jesus will do nothing but rip apart all of the practices and beliefs and activities that are just no good about people who are trying to serve God. And it can feel really negative to us, but it's important to remember that these things bother Jesus. When our friends and our neighbors have problems with church, they're often saying the same problems that Jesus had with church. And sometimes we can be guilty of being a Domino's pizza, a, um, a, an organization that has a product that obviously has flaws, and the world is convinced that we're either lying or we're brainwashed 
because we attempt to pretend like there's no problems. Like, hey guys, keep coming to church. Everything's great. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. Don't look at these problems. And I don't think that helps us. I think it helps us to do what Jesus does and acknowledge the ways that things can go bad in the hope that we avoid those things. That we don't have to fall for those pitfalls. That there's other ways that we can do things well. And so we have this passage today of a very angry Jesus who calls people's names and gets really up in the face of the leaders of his day. And it's helpful for us because it will help us to go to our friends and our neighbors. And when they say, yeah, but church is blank, we'll say, yeah, you're right. That's a problem. And that's the same problem that Jesus had with church. And we try to avoid those things. Uh, starting with, oh, sorry, 9 to 23, verse 1. Uh, there's a lot of these, so I've decided to include them all, but what we're going to do is we're going to do a rapid-fire succession, okay? We're going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit, and I will try to get through all of these in about 15 minutes. We'll see how that works. Matthew 23, 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do what they tell you, but do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. One of the problems that Jesus has with religion is that it is so likely to be hypocritical. So frequently, people who want to be followers of God say they're going to do one thing and then they do another. And so Jesus' opening salvo is probably the thing you most commonly hear from your non-religious friends. I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. To which Jesus would say, you're right. That's a real problem. That the, that the leaders of his day were saying one thing, but doing another. And we have to be cautious to always have integrity to do the things that we say we're supposed to do. Verse 4. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Uh, often, church can feel uh, like you're getting suited out to be Marley in uh, A Christmas Carol, right? For those of you who've seen it, uh, Christmas Carol, uh, whatever version it is, Marley is Scrooge's old business partner, and the idea is that every evil deed he had done is another link in a chain that's wrapped around him. And he has these old money boxes that are weighing him down. And throughout the afterlife, he walks through as a ghost with all of the weight of all of his evil pulling him down. And Jesus says to the, to the scribes and the Pharisees, that is the way that you load down other people when they come to your church. Religion for them becomes a way to burden people instead of a way to free people. And there's this danger. Some people think if they walk into church, what they're going to get is you are so bad. You've messed up so much. Here's all the things you don't do right. Here's all your mistakes. You know, it's just totally beating on them for an hour so that they can leave feeling insignificant and small and unsuccessful. And Jesus says that's not the way that church is supposed to work. That's not the way religion is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a thing that burdens you. Jesus is very clear in the Gospels. My yoke is easy and my burden is life, light. I have come so that you may live life and live it to the fullest. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit being joy and peace. 
And Jesus says religion quickly goes sour when it brings burdens on people instead of freedom to people. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels of their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. Uh, we're talking about phylacteries for a minute. No, we, we says his phylacteries are wide. Most of us have no idea what that means, right? So this is a, a phylacter. This is a general. Happens to be a soldier, I think, but he's wearing phylacteries. It's not a military thing. Uh, there's a phylactery right there on his head, and there's another one here on his arm. You can see the straps that are used to keep them in place. Um, this is uh, this is one of the reasons I love um, the Hebrew Bible and Jewish religion the way that they do things concretely. The Bible says to take the word of God and to put it on your mind and to put it on your heart, right? So they created boxes that you can see over here would hold the scriptures. This is literally the Bible written out on little tiny scrolls and they would strap it to their heads and you strap it to your arm so that it pushes against your heart so that you can literally put the scriptures on your mind and on your heart. Right? We Christians tend to be very not concrete. Everything is ideological for us. And so we don't get this, but this is a very common practice today with Judaism, is to take these phylacteries and to bind them on their bodies during religious practice so that the scriptures are upon their mind and their hearts. And what Jesus says is the people of his days were doing this, but they were getting the biggest box with the widest strap they could possibly get. So that everyone was like, ooh, look at his phylactery. It's so big. Right? It sounds bizarre, but it was a way to show off. It was a way to be, relig- uh, to be uh, ostentatious in your spirituality. And so what Jesus says is another problem of religion is that religion can be really showy. That religion can be like, hey, look at me. I'm so awesome. I'm more spiritual than you are. This is Jesus' complaint in the Sermon on the Mount about how the people pray and about um, the ways that they fast and the ways that they give money, that they're always trying to announce to the world how great they are. And so Jesus says another problem with religion is when it gets showy. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for if you have one, if you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus says religion can also be a way for people to gain power and to try to exert power over other people. Uh, We see this a lot in the media. We see this a lot in movies. Uh, I always go to The Hunchback of Notre Dame. This is probably, some of you are too young to remember this movie. It's the really dark Disney movie where they like followed up like Lion King and Beauty and the Beast or the story about sexual temptation and religion and the oppression of you know thought it's very uh, I love it it's my favorite Disney music movie music but the villain is Frollo the the bishop or the archbishop of the of the region and Frollo is a religious leader because he knows that he can grind other people down if he's a religious leader that he's in charge, that he can tell people what to do, that he can take advantage of his position. And he is the caricature we often see in the media 
of a religious leader who only does it for bringing themselves, getting themselves built up and giving themselves power. And to be fair, Jesus was worried about this too. And so Jesus says these interesting things. Don't have anyone call you rabbi or father or instructor. Uh, I think this is uh, overstatement. I think Jesus is still fine like with Levi calling Seth father, right? That would be an appropriate thing for him to do. But what Jesus is saying is be careful of these religious titles where you try to get authority over other people. Because as soon as you do it, you destroy religion if it becomes a way to control and manipulate other people. Verse 13, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Religion can be a place of exclusion, Jesus says. Uh, This is really bizarre. Like we should be falling over ourselves, finding ways to be welcoming to new people, right? And a lot of churches do this really ironic thing they don't get, where they go, oh, yeah, we really want to grow. We want to let new people in. And you go, oh, yeah, well, what about this person? Oh, well, yeah, that's fine as long as they, whatever, make sure they bathe before they come, or as long as they don't keep using those swear words in the parking lot, or as long as they don't smoke in the parking lot on their way in, or as long as they cover those tattoos up with a shirt, right? You know, like, there's all these different ways that religious people have found to say, we would love you to come in as long as you sanitize and scrub up your life so it looks like what we want it to look like. And Jesus saw a religious world where there were literally people banging down the door saying, please, please let us know God. And the Pharisees go, no. And the Pharisees are so busy leaving those people out that they themselves don't even get to know God, right? The whole world is just wrapped up in reinforcing these boundaries that don't let people enter the kingdom. And Jesus says religion, when it becomes exclusionary, again, becomes something dark and dangerous and not what God intended. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Um, Just real quick notice Jesus' language here. He is not pulling punches. Calling someone a child of hell is not exact. If I did that to any of you this morning, you'd excuse me, right? But like, Jesus is, is real worked up here. And what he's talking about is changing people's minds versus changing their hearts. Uh, we talk as a church about trying to reach new people and help new people learn about Jesus. Jesus says there's a way that you do that where you change their mind, where they go, yes, I intellectually assent that God is real and Jesus is the Messiah. And their heart is not changed. It's still three sizes too small, right? Two sizes too small. Okay, two sizes too small, right? It's still messed up. Maybe you have seen this. Somebody who leads singing at a church but is still racist the rest of the week, right? Or somebody who uh, leads Bible studies but is still harsh and cold to his family and mistreats people. We have all been around cases where um, what you see is somebody who has the right philosophy, has the right religion, has the right politics, agrees with you intellectually, but you wish they didn't, right? Because it kind of becomes, you don't want to be associated with them. It's like, oh, you hold the same positions as this terrible person? And you're like, well, I do on one thing, but I don't want to be associated with them because they're a bad person. 
And Jesus says this is what's happened is they're convincing all these other people to become a Pharisee like them and to think like they think, but nobody ever pays any attention to changing their hearts so that they're more full of love and compassion and generosity. It's all about changing their mind without changing their lives. Woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater? The gold of the temple that makes the gold sacred. You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift of the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men. Which is greater? The gift of the altar that makes the gift sacred. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Uh, this is minutia that we don't totally understand. And frankly, you don't need to understand. What you need to understand is it's minutia. Have you, uh, have you ever tried to, some of you maybe do this and don't. Have you ever tried to fill your taxes out by yourself with only the forms? Most of us are wise enough to at least get like a software program, right? That like just asks us questions and we say yes and no, and then it fills out our taxes for us. If you ever try to do it purely from the forms, it makes you want to pull your hair out. There are so many rules and there's so many loopholes. And it's like, what do I put in this box? And it's like, check instructions on form 585B, section 32. And you go over to that and it's like, now go over to this form and pull out this number from this spot. And it's so complicated, nobody can figure it out. I mean, it's just incredibly complex. This is the way the Pharisees are doing religion. They have made religion litigious. And they've done that so that they can't be held accountable for anything. You're, you're being bad to this other person. I am not being bad in technicality, according to Leviticus 14, verse 35. If you look to this rule, there's a subset of this rule that says blah, 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 blah. I didn't ever swear that by the altar. I swore it by the gift of the altar. So blah, 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 blah. And it's just like this accountant lawyer spirituality that makes you want to punch somebody in the face. Because it never cares about what's right and what's wrong and how it affects people. It's only like, oh, I need to find a spiritual loophole that gives me a way to not have to love my neighbor. Is what it is. Why were you so bad to that person? Well, that person is in violation of code. Jesus goes, enough. Stop it. Simplify it. We talked about this last week with our sermon. Simplify your morality so that you're not constantly finding excuses for why you don't do the right thing. Because when people come into a church where people are doing terrible things and avoiding doing good things, and when you ask them why, they give you a 35-minute treatise on you know, the nature of atonement and how it affects dispensationalism and blah, 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 blah. It's, they don't care. So like you people are, are, you have your rules, but your rules don't make any sense. And so Jesus warns about litigious spirituality. Very similar, he says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Uh, I think we all recognize that there's different kinds of laws of different significance, right? The not murdering law is a really important one, right? And we really, really, really want our neighbors to practice the not murdering one. Uh, there's some that are kind of in the middle, right? Like a speeding law. Most of us probably go a little over the speed limit on a freeway, right? 
But then when somebody zooms past you at 105 on the freeway, you're like, you're going to kill somebody. Stop it. Because it's one of those rules where when broken a little bit isn't a big deal, when broken a lot could be dangerous. And so it's kind of an in the between. And then there's stuff like uh, permitting, right? Uh, you know, technically, if you have a birthday party in the park and you play music, you're supposed to have an entertainment permit from the city. And most people go, fooey to that, I don't care, right? And so when somebody gets ticketed for not properly permitting their party, we're like, come on, man, give me a break. Because these laws are really different. There's really important ones and really not important ones. You maybe have heard in church, well, sin is sin. Anytime we violate God's law, it brings death. Which is technically true based on something Paul says in Romans. But Jesus is really clear here that sin is not just sin. There are weighty matters of the law and there are less weighty matters of the law. And he has people here who are, who are cutting up. They, they take a, a sprig of mint or leaf of mint, whatever is the right word. They pull it off their plants, they take it inside, and they carefully cut off 10% of it, and they put it in a bag to go give to the temple to make sure they tithe their mint. That's what it means by tithing mint and cumin. But yet their neighbor wants some mercy and some help uh, with a financial issue, and they're like, no. Jesus goes, you clearly messed this up. It's not that you're not supposed to tithe the mint. It's interesting. Like He's like, no, that's okay. Like, I don't mind you being that, like, thoughtful that you're, you know, cutting up your spices and giving a tenth to the church. That's all right. But don't skip the other stuff, too. There are weightier matters of the law. And Jesus is talking about religion here that flattens out morality. So that we act like someone who's a mass murderer and somebody who jaywalks are the same person. And Jesus goes, that's obviously not true. And if you're going to a church that says it is true, people aren't going to want to be part of that. It's all messed up. It doesn't work. Um, I'm going to make just a moment as a side note on this. Um, we've had a lot of these issues lately with uh, Barbecue Betty and like all these other people, right? These conversations uh, where people of color, African Americans, get the cops pulled on, called on them because they don't have a fob to their apartment complex or because they don't have the proper permit for their barbecue or because they're loitering in an incorrect way at dorm housing, right? And some, usually white person, gets real upset and calls the police and not realizing how the police being brought into the situation can be sometimes dangerous for somebody from a different background. Uh, there's a lot of important things to talk about that I can't put all apart today, but every one of those stories starts with someone that has no ability to do major issues and minor issues, right? Um, if my black neighbor is doing a fire pit in his backyard that's technically illegal, if I go, well, it's illegal and I have to call the police without any thought to how police interactions with people of color sometimes go down, I have really been concerned about a minor issue of the law instead of a major issue of morality and love and mercy and kindness. Uh, this is the way with a lot of things. If your neighbor's making too much noise, Go next door and say, hey guys, it's really loud. Can you help me turn it down? But we live in a society that's like, call the police, they're violating the law. And then the police come and then somebody's got something they're not supposed to have and somebody ends up in jail. It's like, come on guys. Like, let's just, let's not be so worried about so many little things that we don't think about showing mercy to people that are 
just trying to have a good time, right? And it's just a, a, an issue in our society that comes to my mind. Um, it's important. Lately these days, it's been in the news a lot recently. Oh, sorry. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cups and dish, and inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean out the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. Jesus is saying that uh, religion can create just a surface-level morality, right? We have this expression, putting lipstick on a pig, right? That we try to uh, make something that's kind of gross and nasty look nice. I think Miss Piggy's a great example because she's really a terrible person. As much as I love the Muppets, Miss Piggy is always demanding and nasty and look to other people. Then she gets on TV and she goes, hello, and she's very happy. And Jesus says you can't do surface-level morality, if you're the kind of person that says the right things and does the right, uh, says the right things and proclaims the right things and keeps the little rules, but then doesn't do the more important things, ultimately, um, it's no good. There's a, there's a hypocrisy to that. You need to make sure that your inner life, the way that you think and the way you feel and the way you treat people, matches this public persona that you have. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and, and wickedness. Uh, religion can lack authenticity and transparency, right? We can act like the outside is all good, but inside there's a lot of mess and there's a lot of rot and there's a lot of disgustingness. This is a great image he gives us, whitewashed tombs. Uh, back in these days, they would use like white paint to make their tombs really gorgeous. We still kind of do this today. Cemeteries have these beautiful headstones to cover up bodies that are getting eaten away and flesh that's disappearing. And Jesus says, that's what you're like. You're a beautiful headstone that's got a rotting corpse underneath it. Because what's, what's inside you isn't the same as what's outside. And you try to make like nothing is happening. Uh, if your PR budget at church is bigger than your ministry budget, that's a problem. How many people do we see on the news proclaiming to be Christians that have spent a lot on their suit, but not a whole lot in helping the poor? And that is a problem for Jesus. I will keep going, I promise. Woe to you, teachers of the, law, of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. You say, if we had lived the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then, complete what your ancestors started. Um, Jesus says that sometimes religion doesn't learn from history. That religious people make the same mistakes that they've made for generations. He says, all of you talk about how if you'd been alive 100, 200, 300 years ago, you would have never killed Jeremiah. You would have never killed Isaiah. You would have respected the prophets. But here I am, a prophet greater than them, and you want to kill me. You're just as dumb as your parents were. How could you not learn from where you've been before? How many times in church do we have an issue that comes up and somebody goes, Oh, uh, well, this is a lot like the same issue that occurred in 1458, right? Because we don't know our history. This is why you should read your Bible. It's why you should know something about church history. It's why we, you should come to sermons and I try to inform you about these things. Because very rarely do we have a problem that we haven't dealt with before and or we're not often making the same exact mistake 
as we've made before. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them. Oh, this is the same verse. Uh, Keep going, Preston. Do I have verse 37? All right, just a second. I will read verse 37 from my Bible. This is why I pulled it out. Knew I was going to mess one of those up. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together. That's not even it. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jesus says in the end, religion becomes violent if it's allowed to go down this way far enough. Uh, when people say religion is just the source of all this violence in the world, Jesus would go, yeah, a lot of times. And his language here is amazing. Uh, we don't like to talk about hell too much anymore in church, right? We don't talk about hell a whole lot because sending people to hell doesn't seem very nice. Jesus says, you guys are so bad, there's no way on earth you're going to avoid going to hell. And it's stark language to hear out of the mouth of our loving and gracious Jesus. But he talks about a religion that so metastasized itself that it would kill those that disagree with him. And that's exactly what Jesus is about to face on the cross with these very people who are ready to murder him because they're so tired of what he might say. Uh, this could be a really depressing sermon. I mean, brood of vipers, going to hell, all this stuff. I mean, Jesus is not pulling punches. Uh, here's my takeaway for you. Just because this can happen and Jesus says it does happen does not mean it has to happen. Jesus' response was not to stop his feet and go, we should just all give up, no more religion, let's just become secularists and life will be better. Jesus said, no, there's a better way to live this. And then Jesus lived it. He points out all of these flaws in religion in the hope that we would do better, in the hope that we would emulate him and avoid their mistakes. His hope is that instead we could be a people who have integrity, who lessen the, bear, the burdens on other people, who remain humble, who uh, reject power and control and manipulation, who welcome new people into our community, who help transform lives, who do what's right because it's right, who uphold order and laws but at the same time show mercy, people who are in love with justice, but um, also people who are willing to learn and to grow. And ultimately, people who instead of turning violent and angry, show love and compassion and forgiveness. And he says we can live that way as religious people because that's the way he lived as a person. And he's shown us the way to do it. All right. Uh, what questions do you have about today's passage, sermon, anything like that? So I'm not going to answer that question today because we had a very long conversation here. Um, but as far as the question of when people come into our fellowship that makes us uncomfortable or confused about kind of how to welcome them, um, I think what Jesus would say based on this passage is you bend over, 
you do everything you can to open the door of the kingdom and God's rule to their lives. And sometimes we get so freaked out, we want to slam the door shut. And so the question is, how do we become a people of welcome and embrace? Right? If Jesus can still eat a meal with Judas, and uh, if Paul can kill Christians by stoning them, and then a few weeks later, not a few weeks, but a little while later, um, stroll into church and go, hey, can I preach this Sunday? And they go, yeah, sure, that's okay. Well, okay, there's, there's some kind of radical grace orientation to how do we create space for people. And I do think it's something the church has got to challenge themselves with, of how do we become a place of welcome and embrace instead of shutting the kingdom in, in people's faces, uh, which is something the Pharisees were very bad about. So, any other questions? Yeah, it's really interesting. So last week our sermon was on that text, because that text is in 22, right before this. And so, yeah, there's this, this strain of thought within Jesus teaching the last week of his life of like, listen, I know you guys are going to make this super complicated. It's not super complicated. And that's helpful for us, you know, because sometimes we think that we do have to have like a biblical law degree, right? Like I need to have a perfect knowledge of every word of all 66 chapters so that I properly do my jurisprudence or something. And Jesus says, no, love, love God, love other people. And then, you know, a lot of those things are going to fall in place.